Prayer is a gift that God has given to his people as an amazing resource. Actually, we first read about it all the way back in Genesis 4 when it says the sons of God started to call upon God. The sons of, sons of man began to call upon God. And we find in the upper room discourse, which we're going through now, that Jesus introduces a brand new dimension, thanks brother, to prayer that man had never heard about before or didn't know. And it's a new dimension that many of us use, but we use it wrongfully. And we use it meaninglessly because we really don't understand what it means. And so today we're gonna to take a look at the Upper Room Discourse, and we're gonna take a look at this whole thing of prayer that Jesus gave us, which is one of the most amazing promises about prayer that the Bible has given to us. Turn to John 14 in your Bibles. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, and what an amazing week last week with Roy Patterson, wasn't it? What a rich time. Uh, God was so here in a powerful way. If you remember the week before, we introduced the Upper Room Discourse to you, and we talked about how Jesus had said that he is gonna return to his Father, but he's gonna come back again to receive his followers to himself that where he is, they may be and we may be with him forever. And we learned during that time that the Upper Room Discourse, as this theme keeps on coming up throughout the whole Upper Room Discourse, is that it's really Jesus giving his followers essential truths they need to know to live their lives during this period from the time when Jesus ascended back to the Father until the time that he comes back to get us. We saw that last week. And then the very next section in John 14, we see Jesus talking about his relationship with his Father. Now, we're actually not gonna go there this morning because if you were with us uh, back about six, seven weeks ago, in our introduction to the book of John, we did four messages about major themes throughout the book. And one of those major themes we did was the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And we found out that Jesus not only was real close to the Father, he actually was fully equal to the Father, and that he was actually one with the Father. And the passage that I'm gonna start us reading through this morning, we see that again as we see the relationship between Jesus and the Father, and that'll set us up for the message we're gonna talk about this morning. Now, if you weren't here, I would encourage you with one of two things. One thing is, is you can go back to YouTube and watch the message. To understand Jesus and the way he reveals himself in the book of John is amazing. But even more important than that, I'd encourage you to take this passage, read it, reread it, read it again, memorize it, and worship through it. It's one of the most amazing statements that Jesus ever made regarding his relationship with the Father. So I'm gonna start there by reading that to give us the context to move into the passage we're gonna look at this morning. So I hope you're in John 14, starting in verse seven about Jesus' relationship with the Father. He said this, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, as Jesus continues this discussion about his oneness with the Father, I want you to note how many times the word works comes up as we read on. In verse 10, he says this, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And now we come into the promise we want to look at this morning regarding prayer. I'll show in a few minutes how that's connected. But he says this, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is an amazing promise that is broken down very simply in the verse 13, Jesus gives us this promise. And uh, we see three things in that promise we're gonna look at this morning. We're gonna look at the content of our prayers. We're gonna look at how God answers our prayers. And then we're gonna look at the motive in prayer. And I wanna break this down for us because just these three simple phrases because of this, it's 20 words, I counted it up. And yet these 20 words are worth 20 million words of explanation, full of meaning, testimony of what God has done and how he's answered this in so many people's lives in application. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. Let's start here with the content in prayer. We see this in the first part of verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. That's an amazing promise, whatever. I mean, that, that's, that's a blank check, isn't it? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. But I gotta be honest with you. I've asked God a lot of whatevers that he didn't answer. Any of you relate to that? You say, wait a minute, I've, I've prayed a lot of whatevers and filled in the blank with a lot of things and I even used Jesus' name at the end of that prayer and I never saw any answers to it. Jesus said this himself, why is that? And the answer to us really comes in the next phrase. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. You 
see, most of us use Jesus' name as an add-on. We get to the end of the prayer, we say everything we want to pray, and then we say, in Jesus' name. That's the way most people apply this promise. Others think that if we just add those words at the end of our prayer, we've said the magical formula by which now I'm going to get my prayer answered because Jesus promised that. Neither one of those is the case. It qualifies, it limits, and it explains what the whatever is. Whatever I ask in Jesus' name. And so there's a connection here between the whatever and in Jesus' name, it limits the whatever, it explains the whatever, it qualifies the whatever for us. You see, somebody's name simply represents who they are. It's all that they have. It's everything that's connected with them. You know, if I mention the name of Josh Weaver, you know, you know, you know, without Josh being, you know who I'm talking about. You, you, you have thoughts and images that come along with you about Josh and who he is. When you mention the name of Jesus, all of a sudden you recognize who he is. You recognize his character. You recognize the rights, the positions, the authority, the power, the reputation. The list goes on and on as to who he is. And so to pray in Jesus' name simply means this. I pray as a representative of Jesus. I am coming in behalf of Jesus. So when I pray in Jesus' name, wait a minute now, I'm coming before the Father and I'm coming in the name of Jesus. Now, if somebody went down the street and they said the Moraine Valley Church picnic is coming up in August and we're so excited about that. Moraine Valley Church sent me down and asked me to get 20 kegs of beer and 10 keg, uh, cases of whiskey. Now, if they knew Moraine Valley, they say, really? Inconsistent with what I know of Moraine Valley. Yeah, that's how so many of us pray when it comes to God. Because you know, God, we say in Jesus' name and the Father says, really? Is that what my son would ask for in that situation at that time? You see, the name of Jesus puts a little context around the whatever and a little bit of sense of consistency of who Jesus is. And now as I come in as official representative in behalf of Jesus to the Father, guess what? When I pray consistent with what Jesus would pray, all of a sudden I'm praying in Jesus' name. You know, no different than the police are, stop in the name of the law. That police officer really doesn't have the power in himself to stop this group of people or the semi from coming. But you know what he says in the name of the law, all of a sudden now all the authority and the power of the law is behind him. And when I come in Jesus' name and I pray in Jesus' name, all of a sudden all of who Jesus is and all of what Jesus would ask comes in and stands behind my prayers. So simply, to ask in Jesus' name means I would ask what Jesus would ask for in this situation. And I'm asking in his behalf, for his sake. And I'm asking in line with his own character 
in his own request. So this, this is a whole new way of thinking about the whatevers in prayer. Now remember the context I told you to watch? You saw how many times works came up? I think it was four or five times in that section as Jesus was explaining his relationship with the Father. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and the Father's doing his work in me as he's abiding in me. And, and he said, if you don't believe me, believe the works themselves. And those who believe in me, they themselves are gonna do the same things that I do, the same works and even greater works than these. We see this. And it's interesting, it does not show up here in the English text of most Bibles unless you have an NIV. How many of you have an NIV here? What's the first word in the NIV? In verse 13. 13 of chapter 14. And. How many of you have and showing up in your Bible? Not many. You look at the Greek text, it's there. It's the word kai. And what that, that's important for this. And I don't know why they, all the translations, you read the Amplified, you read the Interlinear, you read the NIV, they all show it. You go to the Greek, it's there. But the and is a simple connective that says what's coming next is connected with what went before. And so what this means is this. Jesus is connecting this whatever I ask in Jesus' name to the works of Jesus, to the works of God. And so once again, we see in context, not only am I asking consistent with the character of Jesus, now I'm asking consistent with the work of Jesus and the things that he's doing. So now my prayers are about the things that Jesus is doing and concerned in that respect. And then you go on, turn to verse seven of John 15. Just want to show you a couple other passages to fill out this whatever, the content of our prayers. We saw first of all, it's consistent with Jesus' character. Second of all, it's consistent with his works and what he's doing. In John 15, 7, you there? Says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, now there's a big difference between just getting in the word for 15 minutes in the morning. You know, a, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. A 15 minute devotional day keeps the devil away, which it really doesn't. But you know what happens is, it's not when you get in the word, it's when the word gets in you. And there's a place here where my relationship with the word is so connected with God and so deep that now the very words that are, we find in the Word of God have now become the words of my heart and they're shaping my thinking and they're shaping my life. And guess what else they shape? My prayers. Because His Word is abiding in me. And it is so deep in the way that I think now and the way that I live. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. What qualifies it? The word of God. Because guess what? You know what I'm going to ask if the word of God is controlling my life? I'm going to ask the things consistent with the word of God. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Important words we'll come back to in a minute. The whatever is qualified by the word of God. Look at verse 16 of John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now it's the fruit. I'm praying for fruit. I'm praying for God to do things that only God can do. I'm asking God to do the things that he wants to see happen in this world and in my life. And so now my prayers of whatever are consistent with what our fruit is. Now I'm going to speak in a couple of weeks and talk and explaining to us what that fruit is. Because I think as we look at the word of God in the passage, it becomes clear. But a lot of times we just have vague ideas of fruit. We'll look at that in a few minutes. But God when we pray about God bearing fruit through us to the glory of his name, that's part of the whatever. And there's just one other qualification. It's in 1 John 5. I put this one up for you to see. And it says this. And this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything, anything, here we come again. Well, I can ask anything. What qualifies it? According to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us in whatever we ask, according to his will, we know that we have the request which we have asked. So we've seen here that God, this whatever in John 14, this whatever in all these other prayer passages are limited and qualified and explained by whatever within the context of God's will, whatever in the context of God's word, whatever in the context of what bears fruit for God, whatever in the context has to do with the work of God, whatever in the context is consistent with the very heart and character of Jesus. That's the content of our prayers that begin to match the promise that Jesus made with us. So let's say, why doesn't he answer my prayers? First of all, you gotta ask, am I praying what Jesus would pray? Or am I praying what I want? That's a gigantic difference between the two. Um, let me, I'm lost in my notes. Let me catch up here a second. Because there was something I wanted to say and I'm not sure what I was gonna, oh, that, let's see. Okay. Um, so anyhow, let me ask you this, or let me tell you this. We'll ask in a few minutes. I want to keep on telling you a few more things before we get there. This has big implications for how we pray when we're sick and when we're in trouble. Isn't that what most of our prayers surround? Um, look, even our prayer sheet is very appropriate. People are sick. We want to pray for them. People are having hard times and difficulties and trials of different sorts. And we pray for them when we pray that for ourselves. And have you ever considered what you ask at those times? You know, Moraine Valley is not a prosperity theology church. You know, health and wealth and everything goes beautiful. But you know, a lot of us pray like we're prosperity theology. 
Because isn't what we primarily pray for is health and wealth and God fix this and God help their life go well and help everything be smooth and Lord do this and that. That's kind of the heart. I know I do that a lot. And I got to stop and say to myself, wait a minute, what would Jesus pray about in this situation? Maybe Jesus would pray this, that they would be glorified through this sickness. That Jesus, didn't he do that with Lazarus? That he'd be, you know, he's going to be glorified through his death. Maybe our prayer needs to be, yes, I want to pray that people are, are healed and get well, but I want to pray that Jesus shows up in some way here, that the only explanation for that healing is Jesus, so the glory doesn't come to the medicine, the glory doesn't come to the doctor, but the glory comes to Jesus. And so are we praying, God, will you be glorified through this sickness and this trouble? Matter of fact, Jesus is glorified according to 2 Corinthians 4 through our brokenness, not through our wellness. It's when our flesh is broken down. It's when we are complex, uh, you know, what's that, perplexed. And in trials and being squeezed, that what happens, the glory of God that lives inside this body is manifested out. So are we praying that Jesus will be glorified through our trials, through our troubles, through our sickness, as well as that our people get well? Are we praying that Jesus would enable us to endure these trials with gratitude and with patience and with faith? Or are we just saying, Jesus, fix it. Just get them out of trouble. Get, get my kids out of trouble. Get my grandkids out of trouble. Get me and my wife out of trouble. Get my friends out of trouble because we just want everybody to be happy. Are we praying that Jesus will give them the ability to walk through this in a way of gratitude and faith? How about do we pray as Paul did? He was actually in prison. He said, guess what? Doors are open for the gospel. If we were praying through the difficulties, you know, and I've had more than one doctor, I, I'm grateful for this, not grateful for all the physical problems I've had. You can see it when I walk up here, this body stinks. But because of it, I've had the opportunity to three different doctors to talk to about Jesus. One of them came to Jesus eventually, and two others came and had serious questions about it. Guess what? God used my difficulties to open the door for the gospel. Are we praying for that for each other and ourselves when we go through difficult times that God's going to open up a door for us to share Jesus with somebody else just because of this difficulty that I never would have had an opportunity to do in any other way? Maybe it's to model the, for others how Jesus would walk in this time. Maybe it's for that big ultimate purpose that God has for our life. And maybe we want to pray, God, use this difficulty to make them more like Jesus. Isn't that what God's doing with everything in our lives, according to Romans 8, 28 and 29? He's using everything in our life for our good. Then he explains in the next verse what that good is. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined me conformed to the image of his son. So God's at work with every situation in our life as a chisel to make us more like Jesus. Are we praying for that? For our friends and our loved ones that are sick and in trouble, that God will use it to make them more like Jesus? How about like Paul? 2 Corinthians 1. He talked about how his trials teach him not to rely upon himself, but upon God who raises the dead. 
Are we praying that God would use these difficulties to break down our dependence upon the flesh and the world and to increase our trust in Jesus? You see, these are the kind of things I think Jesus would pray about. How many of our prayers are filled with these things? This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to pray like Jesus would pray as his official representative coming in his behalf to the Father, asking for the things he would ask. I think I put that in a PowerPoint. We'll put that up there, Pete. Says something like this. Praying in Jesus' name is more about praying for what Jesus wants than praying for what we want. It's praying as a representative of Jesus. It's asking what Jesus would ask for. It's prayers consistent with his heart for the things that he cares about. It is praying Jesus' heart for Jesus' work. That's what it means to ask whatever in Jesus' name. That should be the content of our prayers. But let me tell you, the verse doesn't stop there. Whatever we ask in Jesus' name, what does Jesus say? That I will do. You say, okay, what's the big deal? I'll tell you the big deal here. Most of us approach prayer asking Jesus for his help. Help me with this, Jesus, and help me with that. It's almost like we think that prayer is like taking a salt shaker of God's blessings, and God, as I'm doing this, and I'm working real hard, and as I'm trying, would you help me out by giving a little bit of extra God blessing on it? That isn't what this says. Jesus says this, whatever is my name, that will I do. Now we're talking about a miracle. So let me ask you, when you pray, are you asking Jesus to help you? Are you asking Jesus to do a miracle? Am I coming asking God to do the things that Jesus would ask for and asking that Jesus himself would do it? That's an amazing question to consider constantly as I pray. Because I think most, because I, when I pray with others, I hear it all the time, God help us with this, and God bless that, and God do this. I think what God wants to do is he wants to do things that only God can do, and they have no explanation except for God. We saw that over again. I, I don't know if you want to read those pages. I'll give it to you. I will do it for you. You see, the way that God answers prayer is not just by blessing us a little bit more and helping us out. It's about Jesus intervening and doing a miracle of something that only Jesus can do. You've heard me say this before. If you understand what God is calling us to, the Christian life is not a hard life to live. It's impossible. What God is calling us to goes way beyond just going to church on Sunday, throwing some money in the bucket, and being nice to people. He's actually asking us to live like Jesus lived. And he's not just talking about an external conformity, he's talking about an internal transformation. And now when I see, and I love Kim, and I love you, baby, I really do, 
But to love her like Jesus loved the church, that's a whole nother level that Pat Peglo can't call off, do. And so I need Jesus to do a miracle in me. So I'm not asking God to help me love her more. I'm asking Jesus to manifest himself in me, to do something that only Jesus can do, that Jesus will be formed in me so that the love my wife experiences is Jesus loving through me and not Pat trying a little bit harder with Jesus' blessings shaked on it. You following me? So the second thing we learn in this is, is that when we start to ask what Jesus would ask, and we look for Jesus to do a miracle rather than just to help me out a little bit with some blessings, look at the motive now in prayer. He goes back and says this, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that, why? The Father may be glorified in the Son. When our motive in prayer is the glory of God, this promise goes into operation. Remember in James chapter four, it says this. You do not have, why? Because you don't ask. Well, you ask, but you don't receive, why? Because you ask with the wrong motives so you can spend it on your own pleasures. There's two reasons why God, why we don't see the power and the presence of God so much in our lives. One is because we don't ask. We're not looking for it. We're asking for a salt shake or a blessing rather than the presence of Jesus being manifested in my life in a powerful way. And second of all, when we ask, we're asking for the wrong motives. God, give me, make me happy, make me healthy, make me wealthy, make me, you find what I'm saying? Or am I more concerned about Jesus' work and his concerns and praying for those things? So let me ask you, well, let me, let me just say this. We've got a misconception of God's glory, many of us. I hear it over and over again. We gotta do things excellent. Thank you, Josh, for this morning. We're here about worship. We're not programming. In fact, I feel like I messed up this message. I need to start over again and do the whole thing again. <laughs> you know, maybe we'll see how that goes. But uh, no, brother, you know, that's what it's about. And that's why I love you, bro, because you're a worshiper and you lead us in worship. And you know, guys, this isn't about a program. This isn't about whatever. This is about a real, a real relationship with God. And we think that glory comes because we did it excellently. We put on a great program. We put on a great show. It was flawless. God will get the glory because of how great it was done. No, 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 no. This passage says this, that I will do why? So that the Father might be glorified. How? In the Son. God gets glory when Jesus does it. Not because I've done my best or done it perfectly or excellently without error. It's because Jesus just did something through me. That's when God gets glory is when Jesus does something. And now when I pray, I'm not just praying what I want and that I'm gonna try hard and God help me out with it so that my life will be better. I'm gonna pray what Jesus wants, looking for a miracle so that God will be glorified through what Jesus does. 
That's the promise that Jesus told his followers. This is what's essential for you in your life between the time that I go back to the Father and come back to get you. These are one of the great gifts that I'm leaving for you. So I want to ask you in closing, when you measure what you're praying about right now in your life, how does it match up to Jesus' promise? Are you asking for what Jesus would ask? Are you asking for what you want? Are you looking for a miracle? Or are you looking for some help and a little extra God blessings on it? Are you looking for Jesus to be glorified? Or are you looking for you to be comfortable and happy? And guys, when I say you, I'm including myself in there, man. I got to come back and constantly check myself because I pray all the wrong things. And I got to stop and say, wait a minute, Jesus. Cross that one out. That isn't what you would have asked. Let's go back. Let's try this again. And stop and literally think, what would Jesus ask for in this situation? And praying that God will be glorified in it. And I want to encourage you, starting today, this is an amazing promise that God gave to us, his followers, until the time Jesus returns. A gift of prayer, a promise of prayer, praying in his name, in line with his character, with his work, with his will, with his word, and for his glory. When we pray like that, Stand back, guys, because Jesus is going to show up and God will be glorified in that. So, Father, I want to pray for us. Lord, I, I, I want to confess that uh, I'm, I'm preaching. This is a lesson you taught me that I'm grateful for, but, Lord, I've got to be reminded of this over and over again because I keep on going back to what Pat wants <laughs> for a little help, so I'll be happy. And Lord, I want to ask you in your name, consistent with what you would ask, would you be pleased to transform Moraine Valley Church and every person that's here today? Would you be pleased by your word this morning to change at the core of our being by your Holy Spirit and your word the way we think? Would we be transformed, Lord? Would we be transformed more into the image of Jesus even in our prayer life? And Father, I ask you would do that for your glory. So Lord, we're not asking Jesus to help us. We're asking Jesus to do a miracle in Moraine Valley Church. And God, would we become a church of people that ask what Jesus would ask, expecting Jesus to do it and you being glorified in your son. In his name, amen.